It was at this moment that he knew. He bucked up. Welcome. You're listening to Bucked Up with Sam Buck. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm Sam. Nice to uh, meet. I feel like I've run into you at the club, but nice to officially meet you. Yeah, man. Nice to meet you as well. Sorry I had to move this, or should I say thank you for accommodating me moving this. I'm just uh, got a lot of different things going on. And no so, problem. Um, I bet this is a really busy time for you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good. It's busy, but it's what <laughs> we want after the last year. So, Do you miss jumping in the water? Uh, well, no, uh, but but, I'm, but at all. But what I am doing is a little bit more low key. Uh, I, I'm I was so close to 365 days that I'm I'm just gonna get go to 365. So I'm still jumping in the water. Oh, you're still doing it? Well, that's yeah. see. Once you get in that routine, I bet you're like, oh, I gotta finish it. I gotta make it to the next goal. Well, I mean, you're so close to 365, right? Like you know, it was like on day like 300, and you know, whatever. 30 or something like that, or 35. Yeah. So I'm like, eh. you know, if it was like day, like 197, hell no. But I'm like, I don't know. How often are you going to get a chance to say you did something for 365 days straight that isn't, you know, breathing and going to the bathroom. So yeah, like a, a real thing, I guess, I guess we could start now. Welcome to the bucked up podcast, Norm LaVioletta. I really appreciate you uh, coming on because I'm, I'm a big fan of your clubs and of your, what you did. We were just talking about the plunge. You're doing a year jumping in the ocean. Yes. Yeah. It started out. So it started out, you know, obviously with the pandemic, all of our clubs uh, in Prime Asylum, Laugh Boston, they're all closed. And my daughter, uh, my, my daughter, a uh, high school student, she on May 1st, she had she like jumped in the ocean for something she was doing. And she's like, Dad, come on. And I'm like, oh, OK, you know, it's just what a dad does. And, and I did it. And then I was like, oh, maybe this will be like I live down by the ocean. I'm like, hey, maybe this will be kind of like the thing. Like, and I'll make the bold pronouncement that I'm going to jump into the water every day until my clubs reopen. Never figuring, you know, what, what, what's, what's, what was the stretch? Like, uh, like this is going to go past a hundred days like that at yeah. the time. Seemed. And it was nice weather when you started probably. Well, I started May 1st. Right. So I'm like, yeah. all right, even if it goes a hundred days, what does it mean? I'm just going to go swimming every day during the summer. Exactly. So, um, uh, that turned into much more than a hundred days. Uh, and, uh, but I stuck with it and, uh, you know, been raising money for out of work actors and writers and musicians and comedians. So something to do. But that's also a really awesome cause and congratulations on the clubs reopening. Is that, is that weird to have that day finally come after what you 330 days you said? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, yeah, it's like 300, I think, yeah, I think it was like 330 days. Um, yeah. You know, certainly that there's a surrealness to reopening the clubs in that, you know, I've been doing this, you know, for the better part of 25 years, right? You know, so it's mm -hmm. not as if like, I've been doing this for a year or two, and then then it closed. I mean, this is, this is my life's work. This is the, you know, better part of my life now. Um, so, so yeah, the, you know, it, it was, and, and yet, um, obviously, it's very gratifying to be able to get there. Yeah. And for me, it's always, it's you always want to get past the opening nights of anything. I, in a lot of ways, I hate opening nights of anything. So that that was the important thing to get by. Yeah, because you can't 
Because that's once you get the one, it's like jumping in the ocean the first time. Like when you did it the first time, you were like, oh, I'm this is something I can do. When you get past that first night, it's like, oh, I'm back into kind of the flow of things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you, you want to get you, you want things to be routine, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the psychological and emotional energy of openings, opening clubs, opening nights, opening shows. It's just a lot. You know, it takes a lot. And while certainly it's great to be able to, you know, have to do that this is what we do and this is what I do professionally. So really you want it to flow back into, yeah, no, it's no big deal. This is just what we do. Do you, so you, uh, you started with improv and then went into stand up for the clubs. Yeah. For the clubs. Uh, yeah. So we opened, uh, started with improv asylum and we opened mm-hmm. that club in 1998. Uh, so we started there and, and, uh, you know, did that, you know, obviously still doing it and did that for a while. And then I think it was like around, I want to say 2010 or 11, something like that. Uh, you know, the Comedy Connection was a stand-up comedy club here in Boston forever, and it was iconic. I mean, it was really probably one of the best true stand-up comedy club rooms uh, in the United States. It used to be over in Faneuil Hall. Well, the the owner of that, you know, for various different reasons, decided that they wanted to move it over and more get into the theater business and and operate the larger theater. And so, you know, after, I think that was around, I want to say like 2007 or six or something like that. So I had done some work with uh, John Tobin. Uh, John Tobin has done a lot in the, in the uh, comedy world. He's my partner at Laugh. And we had done different things together, you know, just kind of tangentially. And so we, I approached John, I was like, hey, you know, there's no true comedy club. There's the Wilbur, which is a great place to see really big shows, but there's no A-room comedy club now that the connection has moved. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe we should do it. And, 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 and what we also said was like, and let's take a look at the seaport because that's, you know, we think that's, you know, hot up and coming place. So you picked uh, right. <laughs> that is a hot, and co- a hot, it's a, it's a big place now. The seaport really did grow. Oh my God. I mean, what, what it, what it is now to even when we started, we opened the club in 2013. I mean, it's night and day. It's I, I remember I was. 17 uh living uh, out near new hampshire and i just love comedy it's all i wanted to do and when laugh boston opened up i would go every single weekend no matter who the comedian was and that was kind of my introduction to live comedy i really i do think of laugh boston as like that's where i really got to see my favorite stand-ups now that's awesome yeah and and that's that's the idea you know is you know is to have that a room because because if, if you only have the theaters, then that means you're, you're cutting out probably 75% of the incredible stand-up talent that is, quite frankly, economically is not going to fill a theater, so it won't make sense for them to be there. You know, but, but a comedy club, they'll, they'll do very well in. Yeah, but you had the improv, uh, improv asylum long before that. Was there a difference in run opening up a comedy club versus an improv club? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, the everything is different. So the, the different models, you know, you have your improv comedy, you know, what I would say comedy club or comedy theater, uh, and then you have your stand up comedy club, everything about them is different. You know, the only similarities are that you're presenting live comedic entertainment for audiences, right? I mean, you know, so so functionally, that's the same, but, but from a business model, from an artistic model, from an operational model, they're completely different. And I, I took um, multiple classes at Improv Asylum to kind of get on stage before I did stand-up, but it seems like it's an easier way to kind of like build 
a community than with stand-up where it's more on personal growth. Are the comedians going to put the work in to try to get up on stage? I think you're right about that. I mean, the, 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 the pros and the cons, and let me say this, like, I love both. I I'm, I'm indifferent. When, when I, when I, when I started, when I started as a performer and when I was coming up, I did everything. I did stand up. I did improv. It really didn't matter to me. It just so happened that I, I started to get more improv gigs, which meant I got better at improv faster, which meant I got more gigs, you know, type mm -hmm. of deal. But it, it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic to it. I think though, you know, the way that I describe, the way that I always describe the two is, you know, improvisation is a team sport, right? So you're going out there and essentially you're playing basketball. You, you have teammates, you're setting each other up. You're learning how to move around uh, the court or the stage together. You're following the plays and the narrative, right? Whereas stand-up comedy, that's golf. That's you working on your swing, perfecting your own swing, perfecting your own routine again and again and again. And so I, I think you're right. I think the, the positive of improv is it's certainly easier uh, to get involved in in terms of in terms of uh, that community. And maybe if you're like, I don't know if I want to do this by myself. And I think that's great. But there's a double edged sword to that. There's a double edged sword to everything, which is in. And I'm just speaking as somebody that kind of does everything. Mm -hmm. um, people I watch people become overly reliant on the ensemble. And, and that same thing that gives them confidence, which is able to go out on stage together, can sometimes erode their ability to go out on stage by themselves. Whereas, whereas stand-up, yeah, right? it's, a, it's a lone wolf kind of thing. You gotta be self-motivated to do it. You're not gonna have a bunch of classmates or improv teammates saying, no, come on, you can do this, come on, you can do this. Quite frankly, you might get the opposite. Uh, um, you know, so, so there is that, but what I love about, about standup and, and this is historically true, it's an incredibly low barrier of entry, which is if you're willing to step on stage, you can find a stage. And, and in today's environment, that's not really the case for improv. You know, you got to pay, you got to take classes and all that. So what I love about standup is, Hey, it's the only barrier of entry is you. It is true. It is. And I think that kind of that's why I took improv classes and I was in on an I was in an improv troupe on Cape Cod that did well. But I liked I liked the lone wolf of it, uh, the stand up. And I also uh, but I like having the community of stand ups. I do feel like, yes, there are jaded stand ups, but there is a community that you can build and work with each other. And I think Absolutely. that's kind of podcasting has built that and having more stages. It's, it's not one for all. You can kind of build things with other people. Yeah. Well, I think the best, the best at, at, at any business and, and, and it can be stand up or whatever, you know, those that get good start to recognize that your success has absolutely no bearing on my success. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's like saying like, I'm going to breathe as much air as I can. And when you combine breathe air, you're taking some of my air. No, there's, there's plenty of air, right? There's yeah. plenty of stage. If you get good, you get good. If somebody else gets good, it's, it's good for everybody. Ultimately, and as a producer, I want as many people to get as good as possible because that means more people are seeing good comedy. That means they get excited about it and eventually they'll come to one of my venues. Um, so yeah, I, and I think Boston, I think Boston historically has a really great stand-up community, you know, uh, for, for what it is. And, and, and I think that, you know, on the other end of this apocalypse, I think it's only going to be stronger. I agree. I think 
not that it weeds it out but the people who didn't do it, it they have this like yearning to do it but the people who actually did go out and be able to perform whether it's travel were able to build something over this time i mean that's you said better comics i remember when i first came to laugh and i would go for the headliners and then i'd find out about people like sam jay or will noonan or dan bulge or lamont price or the local killers that now have really created something but that was you need the local talent to kind of build up you need people to inspire around you well it's it's an ecosystem right i mean i mean and that and that's what the clubs do so so you, you know it, it's an ecosystem, or if you think about it, it's, it's an incubator, right? Mm-hmm. We want to identify the Sam Jays and the Will Newtons well before they're the Sam Jays and Will Newtons that you know now, right? right. I mean, we, we understand having done this for a long time, this is an art, and art takes time. You, you know, we don't, we don't look at people when they first go on stage and go, oh, he or she's never going to make it. That, ha- that has no bearing on anything. It's you watch. You present opportunities. You see how they take their opportunities. But in stand-up, it's on you, right? It's, are you going to keep committing to the work? If you keep committing to the work, uh, theoretically, the opportunities will come. Okay, we'll put you up here. We'll put you up here. And then we start to see that. And I think I think Will Noonan and, and, and Sam Jay and Corey Rodriguez, you know, th- these are really great examples of they're killers now. But I also remember when they were openers. Yeah. Right? Well, what- you, you know? What do you look for in comics on the come up? Like, what are you what are you looking for in someone that is before they've really found their voice? Oh boy, that's you know that's a it's a it's a really you know deep question in terms of this business. You can answer it a couple different ways. Uh, first and foremost, so anybody that might be listening to this that that's in comedy or whatever is don't be a dick that's the first thing it's not about how funny you are it's not your voice it's not your vision i don't give a shit about any of that right this is a if you're aspiring to do this professionally this is a business right and 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 so look be be chill be cool you know show up when you're supposed to be on time at a matter of fact be there early right? You'd be shocked, right? Especially as, you know, in the smaller rooms, when we book all these smaller rooms, you know, there's, as I say, a network of people that book these things, uh, you know, an ecosystem. Just make their job easy, right? Just it, just be there. So like, okay, great. Uh, you know, that guy's there. Uh, I don't have to worry about him. Uh, and you'll, you'll get gigs. I, I mean, no lie. If, mm-hmm. if you can be considered dependable in your early stages, you will get gigs and dependable and not overly needy and all of that. Because we understand that once you get on stage, you need the stage time to get better and to work it out. You know, so honestly, that's like the number, number one thing. And that's the double edged sword is because comedians, it is the lone wolf thing, but then they think, you know, you kind of, I feel like I see some comedians or even in my own head, if I'm being, you know, you kind of feel that like you against the world thing where it's like, no, I'm on my own path, but you need to 
not, you need to work with others. You're not on your own path, right? I no, mean, it's you, not and, how that works. And, and you have to think about it, right? You know, so, so the, the booker who booked, you know, Ryan Cott is, is our head booker, right? Books all of our clubs, Laugh Boston, but also books all the networks of rooms and clubs that we, we run across New England, right? Worcester, MGM Grand, uh, you know, all, all these different things. So he's got people who work for him helping out. And so, you know, comedians are going to start in these smaller rooms in these off markets, the Worcesters, the Springfields and stuff like that. So if you happen to be a comedian that gets booked at the attic or at Wuhaha in Worcester, show up early. Yeah. Check it early. Like the, we're, it, it helps us if you succeed, right? We need people to succeed, but you got to help us help you. If you show up late, if you call and say you're stuck in traffic and stuff like that, okay, one time is fine. Stuff happens. If that's who you become, right? Then the burger goes, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to get this show booked tonight. Yeah, this is a business too, as you said. It's right. You know, so, so that's number one. And then, you know, after you, you know, you, you fulfill the don't be a dick and be on time, uh, edict, uh, you know, what, what you're looking for is, is somebody that, uh, that has a strong voice uh, on stage in terms of how they approach things and somebody that's putting in the work to evolve so that when we see you again in six months, we can see some evolution. When we see you again in a year, we can see that evolution. I mean, that, that's what we're looking for. And I think that's true. You know, you, whatever comic I talk to or whoever it's, it's really just putting in the work and treating it like, I think comedians are a certain type of person, but then you have to get past that to be in the real world, how everything works. But sure. is it the same thing in improv? I mean, you build up these classes and then you kind of can find the talent within there. It, it, it is to a degree. It, it, everything changes when you get into the professional world. Right. Mm -hmm. there, there, there's improv teams or troops and then there's professional improv theater and and and, you know, that changes and it's the same thing. So, if you know, to to work at Improv Asylum, the, the main professional cast, that's our main stage cast. That that's what everybody's striving to get to. Well, it's a long process. First, you have to learn how to, you know, improvise. Then you got to learn how to do it on stage and, and same just like just like with stand up comedy. You've got to learn your comedic voice and how you do this and you have to get the reps. Then the difference is there's very limited opportunities for, for, for an improv comedian, right? A stand-up comedian, you look, you call, you go to shows, you do your open mics, you find out who's booking here. You're like, what? You're doing a show in Nashua. How do I get on that VFW show in Nashua? There, there's, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. That, that's how that works. In improv, that's not how it works. It, it's actually, it's a very closed environment with, with, if you think about it, incredibly few professional opportunities, right? In New England, it's improv aside. That, yeah. that's, that's your number one opportunity. I'm not saying that you can't do a show on, on the Cape and do a show once a month and get paid, but that's-, that's No, just kind of, that is the club, yeah. That, that's a gig, right? If you look in America, there's very few. There's the Asylum in Boston, there's Second City in Chicago, there's the Groundlings in LA. Mm -hmm. There's Four Day Weekend in, in Dallas Fort Worth. There's Brave New Workshop in uh, Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, Second City in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of it. 
Yeah. You know, UCB to a degree, but they don't pay and they're imploding and they're a terrible model. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I can do a whole podcast on how I feel about them, uh, but uh, you know, so so it's very limited, right? Like like the, so so what happens is to do it professionally, you usually have to you know you have to say, all right, I'm going to try to make it through the ranks of theater X, mm-hmm. improvisado, second city, whatever, um, and and so there that becomes now it's almost like I, I equate that as like it's like running a baseball organization. You start out in classes, you then audition for house teams, you then start finding things in house teams. Eventually, uh, you have your open auditions for what we call the NXT company, which is our junior professional cast. We have open auditions like that, like once a year, right? We might take three to five people at best. Then another year comes by. And 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 then, you know, that you have to then, you know, be productive in the NXT company. Yeah. You're not there forever. And it, it's, it's a professional company. It's up or out at some point. And so if you find success in the NXT company, then you have to hope at somewhere down the line, a spot opens up on the main stage and you're right for that spot. You know, that takes years and years and years to get to the main stage, um, which is good because from, from a producer's standpoint, not from a performer standpoint, from a producer standpoint, it ensures that when you see a show at Improv Asylum, you're always seeing an awesome show. Yeah, because the people have worked so hard. Yes. Um, well, you so, said that you got booked more in improv. It must. Do you do you still perform at all, or do you miss performing now that you're on the business side of things? Um, I don't really perform in the traditional sense of improv or or, or stand up. You know, purely doing that. I mean, I guess if I'm pressed into something for the asylum, I'll, I'll do I'll do a show. Um, now nah, I don't I don't miss it too much. But where I do where I do get kind of that performance that's still that performance rush is I do a ton of, you know, back before, you know, the, the, the pandemic and stuff, a ton of corporate training and corporate speaking. And, and I get to do that. I was doing that all around the world. And so, you know, that, so there, that's where I get that fulfillment, which is I'm on stage in front of 200, 500, a thousand, 2000 people. I still get to be funny. I still get to perform. I still get the, my voice out there. It's, it's more directed because I, I'm often talking about, you know, the tenets and ideas of, of improvisation and how that you can build things, or I'm talking about, you know, building companies and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm using all of my skills uh, that I learned as a comedian there. And, and I certainly get that rush to still be able to be on stage and make people laugh. Yeah. Well, you have, you have a book, The Art of Making Shit Up. That is correct. And I was, I was reading, I was, you know, reading it and it is, I feel like improv does help in the business world. I feel like more than being a stand-up would help in the business world. There are a lot of, I feel like as your book, it's the yes. And it's the, the building, it's the being a team. It's, you know, the, do you agree or do you think yeah, the yeah, improv absolutely. did help you, know, you build improv, businesses? Yeah, improv is huge, right? Because at the end of the day, call it improv, call it whatever you want. It's collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's what it is. And and by and large, we need to know how to collaborate. There's very, there's very few places where you get to go, this is what I'm doing and everybody leave me alone, right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah. very rare. It, it's, you know, be it in your own home or in your business or whatever. And so, so like anything else, that is a skill set that can and needs to be taught, which is, all right, it's easy to say, we need to collaborate better. Okay, that's like saying, you know, we need to code better. 
okay, but somebody needs to teach us how to code. I mean, right, you can't yeah. just say code better, right? And and so uh, and so you know, improvisation at its heart is collaborative, and it's uber collaborative in that not only are we collaborating, but we're collaborating in, in real time in a hostile in a hostile environment, right? Our hostile environment is two hundred drunk people yelling shit at us. Yeah. Right. And so how, how do we get on the same page, negotiate, agree with an idea uh, and move it forward? And there's a skill set. And that's really what you're learning in improvisation. You're not learning how to say funny things. You're learning that skill set. And so we've brought that, that applied skill set to the business world. And it's a huge part of what we do. And as I said, we do it, we do it all around the world or we were doing it all around the world. And, and, it, and you know, it's all coming back again. So, so yeah, it, it applies there. You know, stand-up, it's, it's not as direct of an application in the business world, but, but on the other hand, there certainly are applications. You know, innovation, mm-hmm. seeing things differently. Okay. Self-drive is a big one. Self-drive, self-creation, yeah. right? Being able to look at something where everybody else sees, you know, A, you see four. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Ah, that's innovation. And that's a skill set that, that, you know, that, that you, that you learn through, uh, through standup as well. And I think it's the same thing with standup where there is, at least I felt it in myself. There's a change when you're not just doing material and then you're having a conversation with the audience and you're trying to get them to think like you think. It is, you know, 200 drunk, pe- hostile drunk people. It's like, well, how can I get you on my wavelength? enough that whatever I say you you're on this train ride that I'm doing right now it's not yeah, I mean, I'm just reading a script well th- that's the job of the comedian that's the be, be it stand-up be it be it improvisation you, you know what, what I talk about all the time right our job when we go on stage you know if you're in front of 200 people you can't play to 200 senses of humor that's impossible they, they don't all have your sense of humor and if you tried to play to 200 200 senses of humor you would fail miserably our job is for a little while to bring the 200 to us. Yeah. Like that's what it is. And, and if, and you know, we, we, it can be called many different terms, right. But it, but it, pandering or, or whatever, but if you try too hard to please everybody, you'll please no one. And, they can and tell, yeah. So, you know, it's like, all right, all right, you 200, you came here to see me get on board. I'm not here to see you and get on board with you. No, you're getting on my wavelength. I'm not trying to like uh, yeah, right. pander to you. Well, when did you start performing? What made you get into this this field? Um, you know, as a kid, I always loved comedy, uh, you know, and my family was super funny. My mom, my dad, it was it was just always highly highly valued uh in in my family. And and you know, and I'll say I grew up incredibly blue collar, incredibly low blue collar, right? My my, you know, my, my mom worked at the, at the GM auto factory on the auto line. You know, she, she's a small little French Canadian woman, you know, one of 19 children. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So they're all a bunch of loud little French Canucks yelling at each other, half in French, half in English, right? I think you know, my mom over all the same stuff. Yeah, you have to be. You do, right? And, you know, yeah. my mom more like a trucker and before before any of your listeners go crazy going like, well, that's a generalization of truckers or whatever. Like, relax. My dad was a trucker. So I understand (laughs) I can talk about it. My dad drove trucks, Uh, you know, but my dad's super funny, um, gregarious as well. And so I think it was always, you know, I recognize that that was value. Um, 
And, you know, I think I was a funny kid in school and in high school. I don't know if I was the class clown per se. I think there's a difference between a class clown and somebody who's funny, uh, yeah. very funny. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I was always very funny, you know, I think it, just because it was fun. And, you know, I didn't do it as any kind of uh, self-defense mechanism to be like, don't beat me up. I'll be funny. Uh, I don't know. I was, I don't know. Seems a good thing. People laugh, made me feel good. Yeah, Maybe being happy is better than not being happy. Why not laugh? Yeah. 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 Like I, I've never created or come from a, a you know, the cliched broken space. Uh, some people do. I never did. Uh, and, and so, you know, but, but for me, I was just kind of an average kid, uh, but I always liked that. And, and, you know, played football and all this kind of stuff. I grew up by Worcester uh, in Grafton, Mass. Okay. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and then ended up, you know, I did like the senior play and stuff like that because I like performing, but typically I wasn't an acting. I wasn't a, a theater kid. I, you know, but I'd host the variety shows and shit like that. And then I went to, I went to college. I ended up at UMass Amherst and uh, you know, yeah, man, I wasn't doing much there. I was mostly having a good time. What'd you study? Uh, political science. Okay. Not you even know, business. I, well, Oh God, no, that's a, that's a dipshit, man. <laughs> yeah. Shit. You, you know, I mean, I, I was at UMass. I mostly had a good time with my friends and partied. Uh, you know, I, I thought or what I was interested in was was maybe going on to um, the foreign service, uh, that type of thing. Uh, I was even, you know, actually filling out the application to apply for oh, the wow. foreign service. But but, uh, you know, again, I was funny. I was known as a funny person at, at UMass. And it was very interesting because I, I can remember towards the end of my time there, you know, something was changing. Like and, and it wasn't like I was, you know, one of these people that was trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. I was just living. I was yeah. like, I don't know, it's who I am. But 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 I started like always being like, oh, you got to meet this guy. He's so funny. Or being introduced as, oh, this is that guy I was talking about. Super funny. And it was weird because I was like, what are you talking about? Just shut up. This is who I am. But 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 you know, it's little bells started to go off. I'm like, why why is this? And and so and and so uh, I ended up saying, and I like comedy and stuff like that. So I was like, I don't know. And, and I don't know why I was always as ambitious as I was. Probably because I felt like, oh boy. I probably can't do anything else, but uh, I started uh, I started my own late night talk show uh, at UMass Amherst called Beyond the Norm, and uh, it was terrible. It was awful. It was so much fun. It was great. It was everything it's supposed to be in college, um, and that was fun. And I and I did that. And then and then you know all right, what else can I do? And I remember walking across the campus, walking across campus pond, and seeing one of those like little tear like you know when you're looking for roommates or whatever. I said, think you're funny, call Brian. So in, in all the, you know, bullshit cockiness of a college kid who doesn't know anything, it was like, think I'm funny. I know I'm funny. Call Brian. Uh, that was Brian Jewell. Brian was a head, was uh, the head That's of- That's a Michigan. weird moment in your life. Do you ever look back on that moment? Like that could change. Just like weird stuff like that. You see a little flyer on the on the yeah, wall. Yeah, I mean, you, you do. It, it's it's a singular moment. You know, it's in my book. It's it's in all the interviews that I talk about because yeah. I, I I mean I really do remember is the lake. You know, campus pond was down to your right, and it was think you're funny. And there was a moment going, hmm. All right, I do. What am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And and so you know, it, it's 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 action, right? Action is everything. Take the next step tear the the number off and then take your next action at some point call the damn number right like yeah. it, it's it's how long did you wait before you called oh probably not long uh because you know i was cocky I, I i was like i'm funny uh, and, and so i called and brian ran mission improbable which is the on-campus improv group 
uh, audition for them. I got in. Um, and that's when I really started to be, you know, started, started to be like, oh, this is clicking for me maybe faster, at least in my mind it was, faster than maybe other people. And mm -hmm. I was like, all right, maybe I can do something with this. And that's, that's really kind of what put me on the path. And if you've, you haven't fallen off. I mean, you, when, did you, when did you switch over from being like a performer to going more into the business side and opening up clubs? And You know, it's, it's a gradual process, but on some level, never, right? I, I mean, when we do this, we're independent contractors. You got to figure this shit out. Like, I don't care if you, if you think you're a stand-up comedian and you don't think you're a business person, you're wrong. Like you're not working for anybody. You're working for yourself. You're a company, you're an L LLC. And you got to, you know, if, if you want, if your goal is to work professionally and that doesn't have to be your goal, it's, it's not good or bad. But if your goal is to work professionally, you got to start treating yourself like a company, like a business person, right? And so I don't know why, but I, I think for me, I just always assume that anything I got was wholly going to be what I created for myself. And I, I, and, and I, I really recommend everybody think like that because here's the deal, Sam. Nobody needs you and nobody needs me. If I go away tomorrow, the comedy industry doesn't stop. The comedy industry doesn't give a shit, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't. And on one level, that can be depressing to think about. I always looked at it as liberating, which is like, okay, well then screw it. I'll just make everything myself. And, and, and you put, I put the focus there. So I focus on, on performance, but I always focus on, well, how do I get the next gig? How do I create a consistent gig? Right. I'm like, all right. And then with, with improv asylum, I was like, well, you know, we were doing a show at the hard rock cafe uh, over on Clarendon street. And, you know, I was a big fan of Second City and, and, and you know, you, you just apply your mind, right? And so I was like, well, man, there's no professional place like Second City here in Boston. What if we made it, right? You know, and so, all right, all right. Well, I started looking around, found a theater in the North End. Each step, right? First, you got to go look. Once you look, there was a theater. It said for rent. So I called the for rent sign, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you take each step. And I was like, well, I'll just create my own theater. And there was no grand plan. It was then I'll guarantee myself gigs in a bar to drink at. <laughs> yeah. And then that got successful. So you got to learn how to run the bar and the company. And then you say, well, here's some other opportunities. And then you learn. But I, I'm, you know, self-taught the whole way. Well, that's that's amazing. And it's funny because you said you didn't study business. You said you were a dipshit in college. But I feel like a lot of people hold themselves back and it is just that you have to think of yourself as a business. Well, what do you, when, what, how did you get that mindset? Did you always have that mindset? Like, you know, I, I don't know how I got the mindset other than again, I, I think for me, it was always like, nobody's going to help me. Nobody's <laughs> going to create an opportunity for me. It, it, you know, if, if I sit around waiting for other people to create opportunities for me again, why would they do that? Yeah. What, what do I have to offer as a 21, 22 year old dipshit who thinks I'm funnier than I am? Yeah. I have no value to anybody. Right. I mean, I don't. So therefore I better go convince people that I have value and you can convince people, but you're still at the whims uh, of those people. Or I can say it, it was always easier, I guess, for me. So, so, so we, I did, I did mission improbable. And when I left, when I left UMass, 
some of us, uh, some of us, uh, some of us, uh, emission probably moved down to the Cape. I always kind of worked on the Cape. What part of the Cape? Uh, what's that? What part of the Cape? I grew up in Chatham too. That's where uh, my, so I, lived. I spent a couple of years in Yarmouth, West, Yar West Yarmouth. Um, I lived in Chatham for a summer with my sister, the squire. Uh, um, yeah, I Chatham spent a lot Park. of nights there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and 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 even then, like, so we went down to the Cape. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I went down to Hyannis. I'm like, I don't know. Let's see if we can find a venue that will let us do improv. And and it was great. It was, and I don't talk about it too much, but it was really one of the best experiences I had. There was a gallery uh, on Main Street in Hy Hyannis, down going down the end of Main Street towards uh, Hyannisport. It was Richard's Gallery. And I don't know if you remember that or you knew yeah, it. Or I, do. I know exactly what you're talking about. And Richard was like this old, you know, in my mind, because I was I was in my 20s, the early 20s at the time. He was probably in his like 40s or something like that. Yeah. He was like this old hippie. Mm -hmm. And I remember going in and like, so I have an improv comedy troupe. We want to do shows. We're great. Can we do a show here? And guy's like, I don't know. Sure. I'm like, great. And so you create the thing, right? And, and, and it was always easier for me to create like that than to try to get you as a producer to believe in my talent. I, you know, I don't, producers don't have time to believe in our talents. We've got to get so good where our, our talents are undeniable. Yeah, you have to prove yourself. It's like, I remember going to Sally O'Brien's for one of my first open mics when I was 17 and bombing and being like, that was the worst thing ever. But the only way I'm going to get better is if I keep doing this, because if I just bomb and then stop and be like, I'll get good one day, it's never going to happen. You kind of have to keep eating shit until finally it comes to a place where, oh, I have something to offer and I'm proud of what I have to offer. Sure. It, it, look, the, the, the first step to greatness is sucking. Yeah. If, if you're not willing to suck, you're never going to be great. Right. And, and, and what we do, it's an art form. It, you, you can be the funniest person in your group. And I'm sure, you know, Sam, people that are way funnier than you. I know people that are way funnier than me in their, in their peer groups and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That could never do this on stage. That, that It's irrelevant doing this on stage. It's an art form. And like anything, you've got to learn how to do it. And the only way you can learn how to do this, the only way eventually you can learn how to do improv professionally is on stage. Now, the beauty is the, the industry understands that. So you can suck and eat shit as we all did when we started doing our, myself included, as we started doing our, our open mic nights, it don't matter. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember doing my first open mic set. It was at uh, the Comedy Vault uh, on Boylston Street, legendary place, Dick Doherty's Comedy Vault. And I remember, you know, being one of nineteen people on a Sunday night or whatever. And I did my three to five minutes, and I sucked like everybody else. Uh, and I remember leaving and being like, "Oh man, this is terrible. I'm never going to get asked back." Right. And I remember leaving and the dude, I don't even know who it was, but working the door, you know, barely looking up. And I was, you know, you know, I'm like, well, at least I'll just be nice. Cause you know, again, the not dick factor. I'm like, Hey, you know, I just want to say thanks for having me. And the guy's like, you know, kind of barely looking at me like, hmm, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good job. Uh, so I have another slot for you if you want to come back in three weeks. And I remember, I remember that was another one of those like, bing moments. Those I was like, yeah. yeah, put me in. And I remember riding the green line home back to Cleveland Circle, you know, getting on at Boyles and stuff. And I really remember going like, huh. So if I'm willing to get back on stage, they will let me get back on stage. 
So therefore the only barrier of entry is my physical and mental pain and revulsion. It's true. You write about it in your book. You talk about how they're not going to remember. Like no one, rem- you don't remember the other people who bombed. So why would they remember you? You just have to do it. Right. And, and clearly the guy's like, I don't know. I got a spot for you. you, you the guy got up on stage. He didn't shit his pants when he spoke. You can come back. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't mean I'm ever going to progress past an open micer. To, to progress past that, you have to keep getting on stage and you got to keep going everywhere. But, but we also know, and you know this, Sam, right? You do enough open mics, someone goes, oh, there's another open mic in Cleveland Circle, or there's another one in Cambridge or Somerville or Worcester. Oh, and then you, but then you got to have the, you got to have the self-drive to call. And then yeah. all of a sudden you go there and like, oh, there's a pretty cool show that happens at Starland or, hey, they need, uh, they need somebody up here, but you got to be around and you got to be out at the clubs doing it. it you can be you have to be willing to travel. When I started, I was on Cape. I would drive two hours each way every night just to do my five minutes and try to hit as many mics. It's when I hear people like, oh, that mic's 30 minutes away. I don't feel like going. I'm like, well, you're not I don't a professional even, then. Or you, yeah. don't, you don't strive to be a professional. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, if you choose for your lifestyle to live on the Cape and you want to do professional comedy, you'll be driving for hours and hours. And you know what? Nobody gives a shit about it. No one cares. Yeah. Shut up and go to your gig. And 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 if if 30 minutes is too far for you as a gig, well, then realistically, you don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you want the fun of of the experience, which is an audience saying you're funny and applauding for you and telling you how great you are. That's what five minutes. You 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 know, you don't you don't want to do the work for the rest of the, you know, uh hundreds of hours the rest of the week entails exactly it's like you have to put your over 40 you have to put your 80 hours a week in like you have to work overtime it's it's a as you said it's a business and i don't think people want to treat it like you have to put eight hours a day and like you know i'll get lazy and i'll be like i don't want to write today but if i want to be professional i if you don't want to go to work you have to go to work you know sure and 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 what also makes this doubly challenging is it is a business but it's also a lifestyle Right. You, you know, and I talk about this all the time in terms of, you know, I talk to a lot of up and coming comedians or actors or whatever. And, you know, it's always that same question of like, you know, how do I do this? You know, I'm thinking about, I want to do this professionally, you know, and, and I always tell people, I'm like, look, while it is a business, it's a business that isn't a business, right? Because when you start, you have no intrinsic value, so you can't get paid or you can get paid very little, but, but you're not getting making money. So it's a lifestyle choice. And I always say, you better love the life. Because if you don't love the life, there's a zillion easier ways to make money. Uh, you know, you, you better love the uncertainty. You better love driving in your car for an hour and a half and two hours to do five minutes in shitty bars where nobody pays attention to you uh, and the anxiety and the uncertainty. Because if you don't like the life, I don't know how you could sustain trying to make it through. No, you do have to love it. But I mean, you probably, when you were opening up your first club, when you just called the rent sign, I bet you probably went through a lot of tribulations through that to then get where you are to owning two of the, you know, the most popular clubs. Of course, you know, I mean, you know, I've heard it said, and I really kind of like it, you know, you know, look, this is us meeting for the first time, right? In terms of, you know, yeah, yeah. but, but like this, I'm like, you're coming into 
you're coming in at a very specific scene in my movie. Mm -hmm. You weren't there at the beginning of the movie. Right. You don't know anything about the movie. You just see like, look at this guy. He owns successful clubs. You know, lucky for him, right? <laughs> you know, and I'm in your movie at a, at a certain point. And other people probably come to you and be like, they see a successful. No, it's, it's all this stuff. It's, it's, it's hard. You, you take big risks and chances. I've screwed up. And, I, and I'm, I'm talking, Sam, not from a place of like, I know how to do it. Mostly I'm talking from a place of I've made every mistake you can make. Because you taught yourself, you have to. That's how you got to where you are. Yeah, and 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 yet, you know, for me it was, but this is what I want to do. So if I want to do it, I need to shut up, and figure out how to do it, right? And 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 it, and it's interesting because I always said, and and it was almost like a throwaway line, which is like, you know, hey, look, this is what I do. It's what I love to do, and if it all went away tomorrow, the next day I would just start creating it again. I never thought I'd, I'd, I'd have to live that. And that's exactly what happened with the pandemic. Yeah. It all went away. I mean, we all understand that many, many businesses, clubs, theaters have failed and gone under. All mine were on the verge of that as well. So I actually had to live the credo of, well, what would I do? Well, I recreate it all again. And that's what I'm doing. Was that, you said you've made, was that a real, did you think it was over? like at any point or did you still have hope? Uh, no, I never thought it was over because, you know, rightly or wrongly of uh, psychological self-defense mechanism, whatever it is you want to call, uh, I don't allow myself to think like that, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and part of it is so like, it's just the way I think, but you know, when all this was going down, I'm not, I'm not an insane person. I recognize that things could be out of my hands where, you know, things could fail. Right. But, but, but in general, when everything was going down, I made the proclamation to everybody, to all my employees and actors and comedians. I said, I'm not going to let one club go under, not one. I don't necessarily know how I'm going to do it, but, but, but that, that was my driving mission. And, and by declaring that what, what I was doing mentally is I'm not letting myself any off ramps. So now every decision that I'm making, is to to achieving that end whereas if i were to say like i don't know you know i don't know if all these clubs are going to make it I, I could go bankrupt over here i'm kind of leaving myself an out yeah and i refuse to leave myself an out i'm like no i'm going to figure this out i don't know how but i'm going to do just going to do it and 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 you know i recognize that at some point if a landlord really didn't want to work with me that could be out of my control but i was going to do everything in my power uh, and so that's that's just how i approach it do you think that's because you were a performer i mean if we take this into another field you started as the janitor and you worked your way up as to the ceo i mean and you've built you've seen all the steps so you have a respect for them you have a respect of the people who just stepped their foot in the door and you have a respect to the people who are your peers i mean you've done all of it yeah, I think absolutely it comes from a performer's mentality, right? You know, I mean, what's really great about comedy and doing comedy, and even if you're doing it on an amateur or a student level or whatever, it, what's really great about it is it, it really allows you to build up a tolerance uh, and, and calluses uh, against failure, right? Because all along the way, we're just constantly failing. Yeah, we're failing when we start doing our open mics. We're failing when we start taking our first improv classes. Then we get better and we go up to that next level and we're failing again. 
and then you get better. And then you're like, all right, now you can open at a club and you kind of eat it there until you figure that out. And then you get your first, you know, you get your first uh, feature set. Holy mm. shit, I got to go for 15 minutes mm. and you fail again. Like you're, you're just constantly failing when you're starting a business. It's the same thing. I'm doing these things. Oh, I thought it would work like this. That sucks. I failed. I've got to do it again. And so, so I think that's where the comedy aspect really is powerful. And you can apply that analysis and you realize, well, failure is really not that big of a deal as long as you address it and move forward. And I think that's what a comedian or a performer learns. It's true. The biggest growth ever in my life happens after the toughest situations. I don't even mean just on stage. I mean, like in life, when I go through really hard struggles, I feel like I come out of it afterwards because I can either take the path where I make it worse and I feed into the bad thoughts or I can be like, what can I do to make it past this? It's it's the you have it's the you taking that ticket off the wall or you call it's the omens in life. The, the good things on your path that you see that keep you going so you don't ever give up. Yeah. And, and, and now here's the thing you got to learn, right? You can't, you, you can't keep making it. So I, I know it's very trendy to say failure and a culture of failure. It's okay to fail. You, you can't keep failing. No, you right? have to learn you, from you your have, mistake. You have to learn from your failure and say, how do I adjust that and, and move forward? If, if you just keep failing, well, then, then you're not learning anything, right? Then you're just, mm -hmm. you know, you're an insane person. But, but you, you have to say that the failure doesn't need to wreck you. You just have to say like, huh, okay, what am I doing here? How do I get better? Um, but, but that, that's what it is. And so you just, you know, you, you keep moving forward and, you know, and here's the other thing. And at some point, if, if it's like, yeah, it's not for me, stop doing it be, yeah. be, be, because that, that's the other big thing. And I talk to performers and stuff all the time. I've had this conversation, which is like, why are you doing it? Like you seem miserable. You seem to hate it. You seem, you know, a place in your life where it's making you unhappy. It's not getting you what you want. I'm like, why are you doing it? Because I don't want to quit. I'm like, why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hmm. I, I, and, but this comes from a very singular place that I've never created from a negative space. Well, so it goes I, back to your childhood when you said, I didn't know why I was fun. I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to laugh. It's like, yeah. why choose to be miserable? You can, you control right. your life. Right. So, you know, so there's that, but, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, and I don't know, I don't know what the future holds. I'm creating stuff. There's opportunity out there. I think that it's going to be gangbusters in the end of 21, 22 and 23. Um, so I'm, I'm super bullish on it, but look, I still got to get it there. Yeah. Are you, how do you feel about the future? Do you feel like it is, do you feel like it's bright now that we're kind of past this? Are you hopeful or are you still I'm, wary? No, I'm super hopeful. I, I, I think, you know, it's going to take time, uh, you know, like, like anything else, but I think that especially with live entertainment, I'm, wildly bullish on, on live entertainment. Mm -hmm. I think the second half of 21 going into 22, I think there's going to be an explosion because it, it's just genetic. It's not, it's not like it's a choice. Genetically, we, we want to, we're, we're, uh, we're programmed to be together and do things together. Right. And so I think it's going to explode. I think that people are going to be pent up. I think there's going to be a little bit of fatalism, which is well, shit. This thing could end at any moment. I better get mine now right mm -hmm. all that it plays in favor of people that produce live entertainment <laughs> yeah you know it, it's true yeah you know, if anything 
not only am I reopening my clubs, I'm actively in negotiations and, and working on acquiring other venues and stuff like that. Oh, was that, see, you're always, did you didn't even expect that to happen. You know, you took this, you took this very shitty situation and you can grow from it. You Absolutely. can either, as you said, you can take the path where you're like, I don't know, or you can be like, no, what can I do to make this better? Right. And, and if, you know, in my business, what I do is I produce live entertainment, specifically, you know, comedy oriented. Well, unfortunately, some places, clubs, theaters are going to go under and come empty. Mm -hmm. So if I believe in the future, which I do, and I believe in my own talents and my team's talents and what we do, I'm like, well, then that's an opportunity. So I'm and like, I think, right. yeah, the fatalist idea will help performers too. Cause the people who are never wanted to get up on stage, cause they, I think are like, it could end any minute. Why don't I try following my dreams? Why don't I, why, you know? I, I agree with that. And, and I also think that there's, and this is going to sound super harsh, th there's, a, there's a culling that will happen on the other end, mm -hmm. right? Which are those people that were on the fence going like, huh, do I want to keep doing this? They'll be like, no, I, I want to, you know, I found joy being at home raising honeybees. Yeah. Wonderful. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And, and then they get out of the way for people like yourself. You know, I see. And, yeah. and that's not a bad thing. And that's happened in history before. I mean, after the after the last comedy boom, there was a real lull. And that kind of was able to make the people really want to do it step forward. And the people were kind of like, this isn't my thing. Take a step back. Absolutely. It's just a natural progression of thing, right? Nature abhors a vacuum. And so it, it expands and contracts, it blows up. And then there's a ton of clubs. And that means more people want to try doing it. That means more people try doing it. They're not all going to stick with it. It contracts again, you know? Are you ever, are you ever sad that you didn't take the performer route? Uh, not really. No, there was a time where I probably was, you know, when, when, you know, you, you know, things, were happening quickly in my twenties. I was twenty six when I when I uh, when I opened uh, Improv Asylum. You know, that's and, crazy. Congrat! I mean, congrat! Twenty six opening a club and it still is what it is today. Congratulations yeah, on that. Thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, and so and that was great. And you know, and you did all that, and that was exciting. But then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're thirty, you're thirty one, you're thirty three, and you're like. So many of my peers that I started with, you know, the, you know, my, my, my look, look, even with Improv Asylum, I thought I'd like open this thing up for a year or two. My goal was to move to L.A., right? As if L.A. was calling for my talents. Hey, we need an unknown person from Boston with no credits to come to Los Angeles, right? Uh, you, know, you know, but that was that's what I thought I was going to be doing. And then Improv Asylum worked, it took off. But but my goal, my goal, I think, was always. Unlike some people, my goal was I just wanted to work and make a living in comedy and entertainment, a decent living. My goal wasn't to be a giant star. It was like, hey, man, if I can make a good living like everybody else, but be doing this nonsense, I've made it. I've come from a low blue collar background that would never tell you I was going to be doing this. I've done it. So, you know, so so I achieved that in, in my in my 20s. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, but then you're like 31, 32, 33, your peers are in LA, New York, they're auditioning for things, they're writing on stuff. And you're like, Oh, man, is this it? Did I make a terrible choice? I'm still doing improv in Boston. I'm like, Oh, what the fuck? Fast forward to now I'm 40. I'm 41. All those peers that went to New York, almost none of them have made it. 
quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And then you say to yourself, who would trade positions with me at 40? Those peers, you know, if they're saying like, all right, you can make, you know, I don't know, I'll make up a number, right? If you can make $100,000 a year being in the comedy industry, owning a couple companies, living, you know, decently, you know, a decent life, uh, you know, or you'd be miserable in New York or LA. At 40, probably almost everybody would trade positions with me. And I'm not talking about the 1% of the 1% that are on a sitcom or in movies. Mm. And so then I remember kind of switching back and going like, oh man, I'm so glad this is the path I took. And it worked out and it shows that you were on the right path. Because as you said, life is not going to give you what you don't want. You know, if it's not for you, you're not going to continue doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's worked out for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but for me, isn't for you and for you, isn't for somebody else. And I can't tell you what your path is or what, what's good for you. Um, but for me, this has been great because I had a family and, and, and for me, I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to control my own, just like, just like my career, I want to control my own personal path, which is if I wanted to coach my kids sports teams, my daughter's sports teams, I didn't want to have to ask anybody. I yeah. never had to ask anybody. I was like, yeah, I coach their teams. I don't need permission from anybody. And, and, and the, the, the true value in the success of if, if, you know, if is deemed any kind of success of what I've done, it's not monetarily, it's not even artistic or creative. It's the fact that to a large degree, I can dictate my own time. And, and, and you can't put a price on that. And, I, and I'm sure there is an algorithm out there somewhere. And if not, somebody should create it. But like the, the value on the control of my time probably has some kind of algorithmic financial value of millions of dollars. It's true. It's, do you know, have you ever heard of the country Bhutan? It's a yeah. small country um, south of China, and they measure their GDP on happiness. Sure. They have a certain algorithm where they measure like the happiness of their people. And I think you're in control of your own life, and that's happiness, and that's what most people strive for. I mean, you hear so many people, I made all this money and it, it didn't make me happy. It's because they probably didn't do what made them in control. Well, if you're making all that money and look, don't get me wrong. I've always, I've always said, no, I want to be, I'm looking to do this to make a living. And, and I'm a huge, huge believer and proponent that artists doesn't matter if it's comedians, actors, musicians should, should create as much wealth as they can because they have, they offer just as much value to the world as an insurance agent. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you can pay an insurance agent, 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a year, I think a, a good musician absolutely adds at least as much value to the world as that damned insurance agent. Right. So, yeah. so, so you know, I'm, I'm definitely not one to, to, to approach it from like money doesn't matter. It does matter. M- money is freedom to a degree. Right. Mm. Um, but with that said, it's well, the idea, like, like at the age that I'm at and having done this for as long as I've done the idea that I would have to show up somewhere at eight 30 in the morning, I wouldn't be able to go to lunch until noon. I'd have to come back in an hour and I'd have to stay till five. That blows my mind. Yeah. Like that, that literally I'm like, how, how do you do it? Um, and, and, and so, so with that said, you know, the other side of it is 
I take all the risk, right? If everything falls, it's on me. Uh, it, there's super challenges. It's not all fun and games and laughter. It's there's plenty of heartbreak and missteps and and all of that. But the the trade off is 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 the time and the control that I get. And I, and for me, I'm willing to make that. Whereas other people, they would never want to make that because what they actually value and they need in their life is is security. And I I've never needed. That. And that's it's really true. And I think that's. You've kept that artist mentality, though. It's what you don't want security. You're still striving. You're not complacent, which I feel like a lot of people get to whatever level they're at and they're complacent. Yeah. I mean, but you, you know, keep wanting to grow. You jumped in the water for you're going to do it for a year. Like you care. You're doing, you know, you still want, you're not complacent. Well, you, the, the creative process is what's stimulating, and, and creative means more than just what you do on stage. It's yeah. an art to, to grow these businesses. It's, a, it's an art to think, well, we've never thought about doing this. What if we do that? There's an art to saying, if I acquire another theater, how would I want to approach that? And, and what kind of shows do I want to put in? You know, and, 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 and there is that. And look, as you get older, you know, your life changes. And, and so when you're younger, you can risk much more because you have much less to risk. It's just you. If you F up, Sam, I don't know if you're married or you have kids or anything like that, but it's no. just you. Yeah, it's just me. Right? You know, I understand that I have many, many, many more people depending on me now. So I am more mindful of how I take my risks, mm -hmm. but I'm always going to take my risks. Yeah. And when, when you reap some kind of reward, be smart, move it over here, show you got it, and then you can take some more risks, you know? Man, th this is, I really hope for people listening have, they have learned something because this has been an amazing conversation. I'm really, I'm really happy we got to do this and thank you for all your knowledge and for your, what you've done to the comedy community in Boston. I, it, you've, you've really made it, you've kept it going and made it something that it wasn't before. And I really do appreciate that and you. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. And thank you so much for reaching out. And, and, and look, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to get to do what I get to do again today and tomorrow. And that's how I look at it. And, and I always remember, right, on one level, this business doesn't need any of us. And on another level, it needs and it welcomes everybody. Yeah, right. And that that's the good part. So if you're thinking about it, Today is the day. I don't I don't know what the hell you're waiting for. The, the yeah. world has already told you it can all be pulled away at a moment's notice. So, you know, if you're looking to do these things, you know, you, the, the universe will let you do it. You just, you know, go do it. it, it it's perfectly okay. And, and then hopefully eventually we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see you at my clubs. Um, where can people find your book or where can people donate to your, uh, your plunge if you're still doing the donations for it? Yeah, you can get my book, uh, The Art of Making Shit Up, you know, anywhere you get books. Uh, so, uh, you know, amazon.com. There's also the audio version if, you know, who has time to read anything. Uh, Audiobooks are great, yeah. yeah I, that's all I do. We'll listen to the damn thing. But if you want to buy the book, you can buy amazon.com. you read it yourself? What's that? You read the audio book yourself? Yes, yes. I oh, read I'm gonna, it. All right, I'm going to listen to that next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I read, I read the audio. So I think it's better that way. Um, so yeah, I did the book on that. So you can get that at Amazon. You can go to uh, normlavalette.com. Uh, you can get it there. In terms of making a donation, uh, so all of our donations are going through our nonprofit company called, uh, called the No Rest for the Wicked Funny Foundation. So if you go to Improv Asylum uh, backslash no rest, that's where you can make donations there. And uh, we'll be writing grants and uh, providing grants out of work. Uh, actors, comedians, performers, musicians, artists, the, no, no genre is excluded. Um, so, so you can do that. And look, you can always kind of 
I'm not hard to find, you know, it's, it's improv asylum, laugh Boston, you know, norm comedy, Boston, Google that there ain't a lot of us. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and everyone go support the clubs, go to laugh Boston, go to improv asylum, you know, it's opening back up. So really go out and support and thank you for listening.